y'all, this is a big deal. Uh, we're so excited about what God is doing. And when you say you want to see God do something, it takes people responding to him and to his spirit to see that work happen. And I'm so thankful for uh, the many ways that God has been at work in this process. Uh, there is a vision, a heart, a desire to see a work started in Freeport years ago by many believers in the community and pastors in the community. And then um, God really laid it on our church's heart to say, hey, we want to be we want to be the catalyst that gets this going. Um, you know, just to share with you, uh, God, God just, at that time we had no idea, and then um, God began to draw Sean and Bethany's heart to, to be a part of that work. Uh, they were already living there, so uh, it worked out <laughs> conveniently that God would place them there not knowing that they were going to plant there. And then God led many uh, to bring uh, from this church and from other churches to be a part of the work there doing and so we are just so excited and we are praying for you today and we're going to be praying for you today in service but we're going to continue to pray for you you have our support and today I just want to take a few moments to really challenge you and encourage you as a church family um, to keep your eyes on Christ and how God can use you and as I do that what I'm talking about today is incredibly relevant to every person who is a believer who wants to see God at work in their lives and in the life of their church whenever uh, I knew today was coming I began to pray about what we would do we're going through the gospel of Mark and we start we would have been in chapter 2 today and so I, I was praying God what do you want uh, me to talk about and then I read chapter 2 <laughs> and said this is perfect. So today we'll be reading in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, as we find our places in our Bibles. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, I just want to say how glad we are to have you. And you have come on a special day, but you've really come on a great day because you get to see what we are about. God has grown our church over the last several years, but our desire is not to just grow our church. It is to build the kingdom. We do not care about me getting credit or us getting credit. We want to see the kingdom of God expand. And so today you get to see a taste of what that uh, is. And uh, we would love for you to be a part of what God is doing here. Uh, if you would like to, I would encourage you to text the word connect to the number that is on the screen and one of our staff members will follow up with you. We'd be happy to answer any questions you have. If you're joining us online this morning, we're so glad that you are with us. Please text that word connect if you're new and we would love to know who you are. But let me read Mark chapter two, verse one through 12. It says, when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven 
or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know the, that the sons of man has that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, "I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home." And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, "We never saw anything like this." Today, I want to share with you four things from this text that I think are important for any church and specifically a church that is starting. The first would be this. Anytime a crowd builds, preach the word. Anytime a crowd builds, preach the word. In chapter two, verse one and two, it says, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And if you've been following the journey of Jesus, what happens is he goes somewhere to kind of escape the crowd, and the crowd builds. And it says, many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. If you study the life and mission of Jesus, that's what Jesus came to do, is to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, to preach the word. And so when there was a crowd, he preached the word. In fact, so much so that when the crowd began to distract from the preaching of the word, that is when he would move. As a church, you have the opportunity to gather together almost every Sunday. You're going to start having worship services soon. You're a real church, right? Preach the word every single Sunday morning. Preach the gospel every single Sunday morning. All of us, we have small groups in our churches, whatever we call them, Sunday school, life groups. Preach the gospel in those life groups. Make sure that it gets back to the gospel every single time you gather. And every single one of us who are believers should be looking for opportunities to have influence and a crowd, if you will, even if that crowd is one or two, to share the gospel with people. Listen, today in churches, they're starting, and their goal is what we call the attractional model. And they say, we want to get as many people into church as possible, but then they don't preach the word. They don't preach the gospel. Preach the word. If a crowd comes, share the truth of Jesus Christ with them. That's fine if you give them advice on how to be a better husband and take a rose and how to love and parenting. But without the gospel, people can be better husbands and better wives and go to hell. And so we need to preach the gospel every time a crowd grows. And I would say to the opposite of that, there's the reactional model of church, which I don't really, that's not a real thing, but I, I just said it was, so I guess it is now. But it's where we're, we say, okay, we see the attractional model and you know, we, we react to that, right? And so we create like this kind of holy huddle where we are defining ourselves by churchy things and not by Jesus things in response to that. And, and the focus is not our traditions or our reactions or our styles. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our theology, we should be people of the word, but our theology should be driving us to a deeper appreciation of Jesus Christ. So have Bible studies, Anchor Church, but they should be driving you to a deeper appreciation of the gospel and gospel-centered living. And you might say, this might be possible in the early days of a church gathering, there's not, nobody but Christians here. Christians need to hear the gospel every single Sunday, every single time you gather, every single day. So anytime a crowd builds, preach the word. Number two, do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Verse three and four of Mark chapter two, it says, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him 
And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So houses did not have windows back then. And so this house is so packed that you can't get into the door of the house. And so since houses had thatch roofs, you could dig into the roof without making irreparable damage. Roofs were actually typically replaced every fall. So that explains why there wasn't, you know, a major protest at the fact that this was happening. So they can't get this guy to Jesus because of the crowd. So what they do is they figure out a way to get this guy to Jesus. This is Christians bringing their friend in need to Jesus. You know people who need Jesus. And the question for us is what are we willing to do to get those people to Jesus? Have you invited that friend to church? I mean, that's, that's a soft toss. Come to church with me. That's easy. Have you bought them a Bible? Invited them to read the Bible with you? Have you bought them a book that you know that will provoke them to live and look and answer questions about God? Have you had a conversation with them about the gospel? Now, when you try to do this in people's life, they're probably going to make excuses like, uh, I can't come with you because my car isn't working and I need to go grocery shopping and I'm tired. And you say, okay, I will give you a ride. I will take you to lunch and we'll go there at, at, you know, right at service time. We won't get there early because you can sleep later and everyone gets there late anyway, church on Bayshore. Um, <laughs> or there are going to be obstacles with, with this. You know, they're going to say, I work on Sundays or my spouse really doesn't, you know, they're, they're not a Christian. They're not interested or I don't have a Bible. Okay, I'll meet with you another time that isn't Sunday that doesn't interfere with your time with your spouse and I'll show you the Bible app or you can have that Bible I have that I wear, I carry with me when I wear brown shoes because I got 20 Bibles. And so we got to say, my intention, no matter what they say, no matter what their objection, no matter what the obstacles are, is how do I invest in this person to get them to hear and see who Jesus is? It, statistics say that three out of four people who actually got saved at a Billy Graham crusade came with a friend. They didn't just wake up and say, I'm going to go to a Billy Graham crusade. People don't just, in, in our era today, don't just say, hey, there's a new church. I don't live for Jesus. I'm just going to walk down there to that school and go to the church. People come with friends, specifically people who are open to what God might have to say to them. I know there's exceptions to this, but this is the mentality we have we need to bring our friends to Jesus, whether that's coming to church, bringing the Bible to them, whatever it may be. This is what God is asking of us. Look at our text. Verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, theologically, we understand that he had to have some degree of faith as well. But what is Mark trying to teach us here? And Luke says something similar. He's trying to teach us that sometimes our personal faith is so weak, maybe the marriage has been bad for so long, that we're just giving up. And God puts people in our lives to believe for us and to pray for us on our behalf. And he's teaching us that sometimes the people around us are too weak or too confused to seek healing for themselves, so we carry them to Jesus. We press through the difficulties. We lower them down to Jesus' feet by our constant and unending prayers. And because of our faith, practically speaking, the master gives them 
the miracle. When the paralyzed man could do little for himself, it was the act of faith of his friends that made the difference in his life. And so my question for you is what paralyzed person has God put in your heart to pray for and to point to Jesus? Now, J. Vernon McGee says, maybe it's not a physically paralyzed person, but there are many today who are paralyzed with a palsy of sin, a palsy of indifference, a palsy of prejudice. A great many people are not going to come to Jesus unless you take a corner of the stretcher and you bring them to him. It might be a friend who's weighed down by the things of this world, seeking their identity and they're lost. It might be a prodigal child who's run from you or run from people that you know. It might be a parent of yours who wants to have nothing to do with God. It might be a whole people group. It might be an increasingly uh, populous group of non-Christians in a city of Freeport that need to see their need and where it can be met. It might be in a town like Niceville where people are living busy lives and they're overwhelmed by the weight of this world, not realizing the rest that they can have in Jesus. Now, I want you to notice there's a strong contrast in this passage between the Pharisees and these people who are bringing this man to Jesus. The Pharisees is just about them. They didn't come to learn or help. They came to be right and argue. Anchor Church, there's no place for that in your church. There's no place for that in this church family. Our church's vision should be everything revolves around the fact that we needed Jesus and he met us in our need and the people around us need Jesus. What I envision for our church and, and Anchor Church, is what if everything truly revolved around this? And so everyone was serving in some capacity on a Sunday morning, so much so that needs were being met, that the volunteers, we don't need you every Sunday, so that if somebody was signed up to serve in children's ministry and their friend came with, was willing to come with them, they could easily call to the children's ministry director and say, hey, I need to not come this Sunday because I have a friend coming with me. And they say, oh, well, everybody has a servant's heart here, so we'll fill that spot in right away. That's the kind of mentality that should exist in this church, in a church that's starting, where everything revolves around the mission of Jesus. And so we are all in because we realize that could happen on any given Sunday, where the style that we have is dictated by the fact that we are reaching people of different backgrounds, different church backgrounds, and so we let go of preferences on a regular basis because the move of God. We have to have this mentality that says, we love Jesus, he has met us in our need, and we will do whatever it takes to see that happen in other people's lives. The third thing I would say, that's only two, third, is the greatest need in your community is the forgiveness of sins. The greatest need in your community is the forgiveness of sins. Let me read verse six through nine. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? They say, who can forgive sins but God? And that's a fair question. The only way that it would make sense for Jesus to forgive sins is if he considered himself to be the one who they sinned against. This is why they say it, it was blasphemy, because they believe Jesus is at best a prophet. He's probably a shyster. And so it's blasphemy to say that he forgives sins. And the punishment of blasphemy is death. When Jesus forgave sins and they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus said, yep. You can't forgive things that don't involve you. Say you and your spouse or your friend had a, had a terrible fight last night and they said some of the meanest, rudest things to you that everyone, anyone has ever said. And you're furious and you're hurt and, and you're really left wondering how you can even continue on in the relationship with someone who thinks much less says things like that about you. And so this morning, when you got up, you came to church. And of course, you smile, right? And put on the church act for everyone. And they say, how are you doing? And you say, oh, blessed and highly favored, brother. You know, how are you? Because we got to pretend, right? Like everything's together because that's what we do. But really inside, you're seething and bitterness is growing and you resent this person and you're anxious about the future, wondering what's gonna happen. And after church, I walk up to you and the other person in your presence and I look at them and I say, I know about your fight last night and I just want you to know that I forgive you for what you said. You would look at me and say, excuse me, this has nothing to do with you. You might be a pastor, but you can't forgive something that wasn't done to you and you'd be right. But our sins, when we treat our spouse like that, when we live selfishly, when we hurt others, are against Jesus. And we are in a broken relationship with God. And we need to be reconciled to God. And what Jesus is saying here to this man is you have a broken relationship with God and I forgive you. I forgive you. When we did our series here called Live Sin, I talked about valuing people and being a voice in their lives, investing in their lives and, and, and getting to know them. I mean, and when we value people, we get to know where their marriages are and we get to speak into their life. We get to know what's going on in parenting and, and we get to speak into that. We get to see their financial needs and, and we get to speak into the issues that they have. When we really get to speak into the direction and we see these are all needs in people's lives, their, their health, the, the, the recovering from the experiences that they've went through. And we should walk through all of that with people. And if that's you and you have these overwhelming needs in here, I just want to ask you this question because I know that whatever that might be is pressing and it's overwhelming you, but what if your greatest need is different than your most pressing desire? 
Many people do not realize that their deepest desires often do not match up with their greatest needs. The things that they are thinking about the most and longing for the most are their deepest desires, but they're not actually their greatest needs. What do you think you need most from Jesus? Jesus says, what you need most from me is forgiveness. And, and, and maybe that strikes you as insensitive. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've been wronged. Maybe you've been abused and you say, how dare you say, I need forgiveness. I'm the one who has been wronged. And sure, this is you talking still, not me. Maybe I need to learn to forgive the person who wronged me. And I'm struggling with that. But that's it. And it seems insensitive of me to say that you need forgiveness too. Well, you're, you're partially right. But if you listen to what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. It's really very practical. If you've been really wronged, what you need most is a way to forgive those who wronged you. And you can't ever forgive heinous wrongs unless you experience forgiveness yourself. It may be true that you have been wronged, but it's also true that in relation to God, every one of us have wronged him. And experiencing his forgiveness will give you the strength and ability to forgive those who have wronged you. Listen, I don't know where you're at. I may not even know who you are or what you've done, but I can tell you that the greatest need you have right now is to know that you are forgiven. And so certainly, if it can reconcile our souls in this way to where we can forgive the wrongs, then it is the greatest need that we have in our entire lives. And as you plant a church and you engage in the community, there are going to be all kinds of needs that exist. And we should seek to meet those needs. But the greatest need that people have is reconciliation with God. And Jesus is saying this in the midst of healing a paralytic. Because a healed body might give you a few decades of better living. A healed soul will give you an eternity of abundant life. And the church must understand this and must be gospel-centered and gospel-driven because of this need. Number four, the last thing I would say is the glory of God is the goal. The glory of God is the goal. Verse 10 through 12, it says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. This man did not need that bed anymore. And this man saw the glory of God and began to glorify God with his life. If there's any confusion about that, Luke says in Luke 5, 25, in his account, and immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he, what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. His sins had been forgiven, and he had been healed. I actually thought about, I don't have to wear this sling. 
just I have to wear it so that people don't grab my arm. And I actually thought about inviting Sean up to pray for me and then taking it off and say I was healed so you really build a quick crowd at Acre Church. <laughs> but this man's healed and, and his life now is spent glorifying God. God healed him, but it was the forgiveness of sins that caused him to see the glory of God. And now he's using his health to live his life glorifying God. Now, what's interesting about this passage, if you do some research, is these people were saying that they never saw anything like this, but many of them did not follow Jesus. And so it can be possible that we do a work that's great, that people say this is amazing, but they actually don't put their eyes on Jesus. And, and so I would say to you, church, Anchor Church, and I would say this to Bayshore as well, do not settle for people who are simply amazed by the work of Jesus. Invite them to follow Jesus. I'm telling you, and this exists in Freeport, from churches in Freeport, and this exists here and this exists everywhere, that there is a market to create churches that build hype, that build excitement, that keep people wanting to be a part of it, spiritually immature all their life, living from experience to experience, and never really growing in assurance of the gospel. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for that. Be a church that is laser focused on the glory of Jesus and the life that is devoted to his glory. And press in to see where people really are and emphasize the glory of God in all you do. Because salvation really comes from a recognition of the glory of God. And then who we are in response to his glory We've fallen short, and then how glorious it is that Jesus would come and die for us. In worship, it's not about the fields. The fields should be driven by how great God is. Exalt him in your worship services and have people respond to him. And even the mission should be driven not of obligation and numbers, but the glory of of God. Anchor church, when a crowd builds, preach the word. I have confidence in you and these people and this pastor that you're going to do that. Do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Let that drive so much of what you do. You all have different church experiences but what should be clear in what you do is the church being on mission for Jesus. Be laser focused on that. Remember that there's a lot of needs you can meet in your community, but the greatest need that exists is the forgiveness of sins. Don't get distracted from that. And then may the glory of God be the goal and the result of this work. Church on Bayshore, the same goes for us. This is why we want to be a part of this, because the glory of God is the goal. And so I invite you, church family, if you're just a spectator, to participate 
in the furthering of God's kingdom in Niceville. And then lastly, I just want to say this to anyone who's here today. You have different needs in your life. The greatest need in your life is to be reconciled to God. God is holy. He is glorious without us. And when we realize who he is, we realize that we fall short. Yes, people around us fall short, but talking about you, you've fallen short. And Jesus came to forgive sins. Not just in word, but in deed on the cross. And he proved to them that he had the power to forgive sins by healing this man, but he proved to us his ultimate power in the resurrection of the dead. And he's invited us to a resurrected life with him for all of eternity. And by God's grace, as we trust in him and the life he gives us on this earth, we experience healing to his glory. So if you're here today and you've never really dealt with that, maybe you have more questions about that, I would encourage you to come and talk to me after the service or you can text the word believe to the number that is on the screen and one of our pastors will follow up with you. We would love nothing more than to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray for you and and pray as I wrap up our time and then uh, after a short video of encouragement plays, we're gonna get to hear just a few words from Pastor Sean Walker uh, of Anchor Church and then uh, Lewis Miller, who's our regional catalyst for the Florida Baptist uh, Convention and a dear friend is gonna come and just share a word of encouragement and he'll keep it under 45 minutes. I'm just kidding. (laughs) And uh, then we're gonna pray together uh, for the Anchor Church family. So uh, let me pray. Jesus, I just pray that if there's somebody here today that does not have this kind of relationship with you, God, they're they're broken. And in their brokenness, I pray that they realize your healing power. Yes, you have the power to heal relationships on earth. You have the power to heal us physically on earth. But most importantly, you have the power to reconcile us to God. And so I pray that they would be reconciled to God through the cross of Jesus Christ. And I pray that every believer in this room wherever they're gonna gather together for worship next week, would say, how can I be all in to the glory of God through my church on mission? I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.